Welcome everyone to episode seven of HR Leaders Live, the show where we discuss the future of work with today's most innovative and successful people leaders. My name is Chris Rainey, co-founder of HR Leaders and host of the HR Leaders podcast. On today's show, we're going to be talking about quite a, a number of areas ranging from diversity to entrepreneurship to women leaders. So it's going to be a very interesting show if we can get Jill's audio to work, that is. Oh, you're back, you're back, you're back. That was such good time on Jill because I was like stalling to try and introduce you. <laughs> um, as always, I'm joined by the fabulous, fabulous um, Jill Katz, founder of uh, Assemble HR Consulting. Jill, how are you? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm great and I'm always thrilled when the show button goes live and my audio goes off. It's so powerful, so happy always, to be here. Yeah, no good, we made it, we made it. And today we have two special guests. Uh, we're joined by Elisa Leary, Vice President of Inclusion and Diversity Talent Strategy at Macy's. How are you doing, Elisa? Doing well, so happy to be with you guys today. Thank you for joining us. And we also have Amanda Johnson, the co-founder of Mented Cosmetics. How are you doing, Amanda? Hi, um, doing pretty good. Excited to be on the show. You guys have got a promise that you're going to take it easy on me today because I'm out, outnumbered. <laughs> Normally it's the other way around. <laughs> Jill's been now. waiting for this moment. She's been telling me via LinkedIn chat, Chris. Now you're <laughs> all right. Well, well, look, let's kick things off. You know, one, I'm really excited to have you all on because, you know, all three of you are um, women leaders and pioneers in what you're doing and in your own right. Um, so I wanted to ask you a question of, you know, what are you creating at the moment within your organizations or within your own businesses? And what was your inspiration behind what you're doing? Um, we'll start, who are we going to start with, Jill? <laughs> you're going to kick I things off, Jill? <laughs> I, I would be happy to start things off. Um, I'm very, very excited about today's show because I think we'll get to talk about a lot of the topics that have been hot today. Um, and I'm most especially excited to be joined by two fierce and fabulous women leaders um, who have both made an impression on me and I'm glad to have you on the show. So thank you both for coming and telling your story. Um, my story is that I have founded Assemble HR Consulting, which is www.hrassemble.com. Uh, after 20 years or more of being in corporate HR and having the opportunity to learn about businesses from the inside, I have worked with startups that are two or three people in, in someone's dad's attic. Um, and you know it, that's been incredible. And I've also had the opportunity to work in very, very large established organizations like Macy's, where I've been for over four years as an HR leader. And to me, this was something I've always had to do. There's been a voice inside me saying, you gotta do this. And so I founded my company just a few months ago to focus on helping leaders create what I call a workplace that works. And we'll be focusing on organization design, transformation, change management, leadership development, and all the things that I think create the heartbeat of an organization, particularly as the future of work, is looking us in the face and changing as we speak. Fantastic. Well, congratulations. That's Thank you so much. Thank big, you. Big, big step, big step. I know how that feels to jump out the airplane and start building your parachute on the way down. <laughs> welcome. I am, welcome. I am sewing in the air. <laughs> Can I ask one question before we move on? Because I, I wanted to ask this. What was the moment, Jill, that you decided, I'm doing it? What was it that, what was it that, because I know we all think about it for a while and we all, it's a long time, you kind of build up the courage, but what was that defining moment where you're like, I'm going to do it? Um, I would say there were a few defining moments. 
um, that as I've gone through some of my own change and as the company I was loving and working with went through change, I realized that it was a now or never moment. And um, I cared a lot about the people that I worked with and I helped a lot of people find next steps for them and their journey was so important to me. And then it felt to me like I had to do this now. And, and as I always say, and I think maybe my, my broader moment statement, Chris, is I don't want to be an old lady in a rocking chair wondering <laughs> what would it have been like if I had just done it. So I got to do it. I, I have to do it. So a good question. I'm going to prepare next time. <laughs> I, I think you did well, Jill. I think you did okay. Thanks, Elisa. <laughs> what about you guys? Um, I, I think, Chris, for me, there's a, a different nuance to the way I'll answer the question in terms of what I'm creating. I think um, for me, um, you know, working for a very large corporation, an organization, what I'm creating is momentum. Um, and momentum in such a way that, um, you know, I'm focusing on diversity. And so it's getting an organization going in a direction, getting excited about the importance of diversity and inclusion within it. And to be in a place where you suddenly have an opportunity to shift a, a large organization all going in one way to come up on the other side to, um, to a goal that's just so critically important to the organization is just such an awesome thing. So to be, you know, for me, it's all about momentum and education and going in the same direction. So that's really what I feel that I'm creating here um, at the organization that I work on, work with. Fantastic. Uh, so I'll jump in. Um, so I feel like I'm creating quite a few things. Um, I'm excited about all of them. So Minted Cosmetics, um, Minted Short from Pigmented, is a premium beauty company for women of color. My co-founder and I started the company in January 2017. And so it has absolutely been a roller coaster of a year between creating a company, launching products, building a community around that brand and those products, and then obviously building a company culture. And so um, actually when we met Jill is when we were on a panel talking about building company culture and what does it mean to be a woman founder doing that and how have things changed. And so I feel like one of my responsibilities as co-founder of the company is to not only obviously build a company we have we're so excited about the products that we're launching this year and the community that we're building around it we really feel like we're giving for the first time women of color a real voice and home in the world of beauty and they are no longer an afterthought they are absolutely at the forefront of our minds and so we're excited about that and what we're building but we're also building a company culture and we're hiring people and we're thinking about you know, how do we want to do this differently than the, the many, many companies that we worked for before? So my co-founder and I both came from very large um, professional corporations. And so I think we've learned a lot of lessons about how we would th do things differently once we were in, you know, the senior leader's chair. And so we're there <clears throat> and we're making those big, important decisions now. And so um, it's been exciting. Mm. I think what, what stood out to me from what you just said as well is you have a very powerful why about what you're doing. Um, many businesses they have the best products in the world but there's no meaning behind it yeah. no purpose and i think it's so important now for, to any company that you have a very clear message and the first thing you spoke about wasn't your products it was your message 
yeah like that was that was that was straight away what hit me and um even my my wife is a woman of color and uh i, I showed her your product so you've already got a new fan there <laughs> <laughs> um and i think what's cool as well with a product like your own in the industry you're working with with social media now we're talking about that beforehand you can reach such yeah a vast audience that you can never do before. There's never been a more exciting time and you can't meet everyone one-on-one. And that's why your purpose has to be the message. Yeah. That's what everyone can reach. Perfect. Um, Amanda, I have a question for you. Um, I, I was really excited to hear what, what you just mentioned. And it was wonderful to meet you also at that <laughs> panel. I thought that your, your story, KJ's story was just so inspiring to me also because of your why. And I heard you just say that you have decided to do some things differently from how you've seen them done in companies before, like the way you hire people, et cetera. Could you share one example of something that you have focused on to do differently at Mented? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things that... Um, we very early on said, so my co-founder came from the world of consulting, I came from the world of investment banking, so we very much understand large professional services firms and how they work and their attempts to hire for both um, kind of expertise and culture. And we feel like one of the things that is has been stifled in that process is people really showing up to work and being who they are, authentically being who they are. I think there's a lot of trying to fit into corporate culture. So from day one, my co-founder and I said, we want people to come to work being who they fully are, their full selves. And that is a part of our culture statement. That is something we tell our employees. That is something we tell our interns because they are also a critical part to the company and the culture that we're creating. So I don't care what your hair color is, what your nail color is, what outfit you wanna wear, what your accent is. Um, all of those things are important to bring to the table. Your diversity of thought and experience is something we value at Vinted and that is first and foremost in our hiring policies. It's crazy how that's ingrained in so many people, right? When you walk into a company, you feel like you automatically have to act and do and work in a certain way and carry yourself. I'll give you a perfect example, which is so real. Just before this episode, I was wearing a jumper. <laughs> and, and I thought, I'm going on this on, on the show. So I've been brainwashed for so long because I worked in a corporate environment for so long, 10 years. I was like, I need to put a shirt on before this episode. I was wearing a jacket. <laughs> and a t-shirt before we came on but for some reason you know and that's how I feel comfortable that's how I work the most I feel comfortable in my environment I'm more productive rather than sitting in an office with four people wearing a suit <laughs> what am I going to do that for it's crazy it's crazy I'm really happy that you yeah Chris I think um what you said is really so important because when you are part of a really large corporation I think many of us in our heads we say um specifically for us those of us that we believe we're really, really very progressive. Um, what's really embedded in our unconscious because, yeah. you yeah. know, we all say, you know, we, we, I do want you to bring your authentic self to work. But the, uh, the proof of that pudding becomes truly if you're able to discount when something that is so opposite of who you are comes in front of you or you have to make a judgment call on it. And part of, you know, as I talk about what the movement is and educating those within an organization on what you really need to be able to do is understand that you, you are gonna have biases. It's in our DNA. Exactly. It is all about our journey and all of our journeys are different. Even if we come from the, the same ethnic background, political um, 
uh, affiliations, all of that stuff, there are still very different journeys that we all have. So Amanda, I commend you because I think the very first step in doing it is already putting it out there that I don't care what you look like. Right. However, you also being able to come to work exposing your authentic self as well, because yeah. many of us, we say it, and, and Chris, I will, I will put it out there for myself as well. And in my head, from as being a professional, I am not your coming every day to work with jeans on and the t-shirt kind of girl. Today, <laughs> today I have on a dress, you know, which is very, very different, but it's what's, what I've become most comfortable in. But it's then for me to be able to have an interview today and that person comes in with a pair of jeans and I'm, and I'm consciously not going to sure. um, say like, what is up with that? And it's about how do we live that? How do we make sure that we do, you know, kind of live what we say? Because it's not so easy because it's embedded in this head of ours. Mm. Um, and we don't even know that it's there, quite honestly. Yeah. And even people, some people don't know that they're actually being biased. <laughs> so you kind of have to educate them. I remember my, my boss yeah. when I was very young doing interviews and he was like, yeah, I didn't hire him. His suit didn't fit him well. Yeah. Like, like that's a real and I when I first heard that yeah. and I was like what oh yeah he had a his suit was hanging off his shoulder Chris and you know his shirt wasn't completely ironed so he's not serious yeah. <laughs> but you know what one of our best salespeople in the in our office for the 10 years was the most scruffy looking guy <laughs> you'd ever see and the most antisocial person but he had the best results ever in the organization yeah. so those small details <laughs> it really is and i think that the key to that is really to understand that those biases really exist because it exists in everyone and it's that you know it, it is so subtle that you really don't i mean you say it out loud and you don't even realize that it is a bias and what's what's scary about that is people make decisions based on it mm -hmm. in the workplace Critical decisions are really being made. People's career trajectories are, are being made on these very subtle nuances that you don't even know exists. And if they're not brought to your attention and if you're not educated and if organizations big or small are not bringing that to the table, um, that's how you end up with these very um, un uneven balances of the same thing over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think um, I'll say one of the things that we were very conscious of is that um, our why, back to the why. You know, we feel like women of color, and that is whether you are Black or Hispanic or South Asian or Middle Eastern or whatever your ethnicity is um, that is non-white, um, have not been fully represented in beauty, right? So we, um, whether it's the product, it's not pigmented enough or the color doesn't work, or you don't see yourself in the advertisement. I think very much from the customer and the community perspective, we understand the issues and how to best address them. And we had to say, okay, so internally, what do we need to do to make sure that the community we're building reflects our real why? And so that for us has always meant we need to have diversity at the table. We need to have diversity whenever we make a decision about our community, which means we need to hire a diverse team. And so we have actually just made that a commitment to ourselves and like part of how we run the company, you know, and I want to write blog posts about how South Asian women wear beauty. I'm not that suited to do that. I need to hire a content marketer that can do that. And so from every um, you know, perspective of the company, every piece of it, we've been very thoughtful about 
If we want our community to look like X, then internally our workforce needs to look like X as well. And I think if more companies really try to represent their customer inside the company, um, all of us would be better off with the decisions corporations make. Yeah. Elisa, how, how are you um, educating the leaders in your own business? Is it, uh, is it a one-on-one approach? Is it sort of, uh, sort of uh, oh, Lex is talking yeah. to me. Sorry. Yeah, it's a combination <laughs> of all of those things. Uh, it's a combination of making sure that from the very, very top, it's um, committing to the goal and um, working with all of the teams in terms of how we communicate what priorities are, um, working with those that are charged with educating the organization that they're equipped with the content that's required. And then the people that run the businesses, uh, making sure that they're kind of aligned to the message. Um, you know, I think many organizations um, do understand that it's a monumental task getting everyone to go in one direction. And it's not one entity within that organization that's gonna make the difference. Every single person within that organization is interconnected to deliver the message. So um, that's how it ends up uh, getting cascaded throughout the organization. It can't sit in a silo uh, and then get disseminated and, you know, and on a wing and a prayer, we hope that the message gets out there. Perfect. As a woman, uh, or as women, <laughs> got more than one, um, could you share your own experience and what experience have you had in, your, in terms of your own journeys as leaders within organizations, both within startups, within, within large organizations? How has your, your ethnicity and your gender, have you, have you ever experienced any of these biases directly? Uh, I, I, for me, um, I, I can tell you, it, it started way, way, way at the beginning, you know, coming out of college um, where I wasn't mature enough to really understand or to educate. Um, but one of the consistent themes that I had gotten, you know, way at the beginning is that you're different. And early on as a 22 year old, it's like, what do you, you know, it's like, how do you even begin to have a conversation with someone where you know that you're not different. Today, if someone were to ever say that, it would be a whole nother situation, um, as Jill could tell you. Um, but, but yes, it's really, you know, and, and Amanda, you know, you may agree with me as well. I've always taken it as my, per my responsibility. And I think as you speak to a lot of um, African-American women or diverse women that, it is to be, it sits on my shoulder. The journey and the example sits on my shoulder. Whether that's, a, whether that's fair or not, that's just the way it is. So it's always, I'm always on this journey to show that as an African-American woman, I bring value to the table. Um, it's important to me to be a mentor so that the folks and the, uh, the young African-American emerging leaders that come behind me see an example in front of them to see that this is something that absolutely is achievable. Um, and that's part, part of why I do, you know, I'm, I'm a mentor. I've, I'm, I'm up to, I counted it because someone asked me the other day. Um, I literally mentor 23 people currently. Wow. Um, How do you do anything else? It, I know. It, <laughs> I it barely is mentor lot, myself. Right? Yeah, it's a lot. And, um, and, and so it is just this journey that, that I travel to make sure that 
everyone that I touch and everyone that's around me really understands that it's just not me. There's a, a wide representative of who I am. Um, and I just, I look at it as a responsibility, you know, um, as I go through my journey. Yeah, I, I would echo that. I mean, I feel like I've worked in quite a few different types of corporate environments. And I think um, the kind of bias, if you will, that's most easy to identify and kind of feel in a real way is the kind of boys club, right? Like, so there are certain conversations and certain activities um, that I, quote unquote, wasn't supposed to participate in or conversations or things like that. And I think as a woman in those environments, you absolutely immediately feel different, right? And you feel other and you come to understand the things that you can and cannot or should or should not rather participate in. And then I think there's another layer, certainly for me, of race. And so I think sometimes that's more difficult to understand when that is in and not in a situation. But the fact that you're always aware of it in and of itself is another kind of weight, if you will. And so I do feel like there are a lot of um, eyes on me, on my career, whenever I'm in an environment, how will she act? How will she react? Um, how does she behave? Who does she surround herself with? And so I think that constant spotlight is um, hot. <laughs> and, um, certainly, uh, you know, a, a load you carry throughout your career. And I think um, so true to what she was saying that you have to surround yourself with the right people who are going to constantly lift you up with you being that person. And also it's your responsibility to constantly tell other people that you're not the only one. And so you're interacting with me. You're having a great positive experience. Well, I'm only a swamp of a lot of women who are exactly like this. And so there's no need to think of me as other or different or, you know, treat me with kid gloves. And so sometimes it's about being very direct and honest about those things. Right telling your manager, look, I'm not the first Black woman you're ever going to interact with. You can give me direct feedback. You can tell me when I'm doing things right or wrong. And like, I won't break in you doing that. Um, and so sometimes <laughs> you, on that point, do you feel like uh, people tread on eggshells around you guys to make no. sure they don't, they don't like, oh, I can't say something wrong. I'm going to yeah. get in trouble. Is, is that something that comes up a lot? It's real. And they're actually at a firm I used to work at, um, uh, what you, a feedback training sessions on how to give feedback to women because a lot of men have a fear that women will, you know, just fall apart <laughs> when it comes to negative feedback, which couldn't be more from the truth because people want to know how to yeah. get back to your job. People want to feel empowered that they're doing the right thing. Um, but that feedback isn't always shared. And so, like I was saying, sometimes you have to be very direct with people that like, look, I don't think you're giving me the whole story. I want the good and the bad always. Yeah. And then sometimes you have to kind of show a manager that with terrible, you know, with negative feedback or areas of improvement, you won't break. And so sometimes with certain managers, they'll give me all the positive feedback. And then I have to be the one to interject right. and say, but in this situation, I felt like I could have handled this thing differently. What are your views on that? I think that's an area for me to improve. And so sometimes you have to help people along in the journey, but either way, it is on, on you. I do feel like it is on me and on everyone to make sure that they get the professional development they need. And right. some people just need to know that that's going to be harder depending on who you are when you show up at work. Yeah. Hmm. 
I would say, um, first of all, I, I love your comments and, and I've spent a lot of time recently listening to and learning more and more about inclusion and diversity. And what's so interesting is there are some groups of people who are very obviously diverse by the way that they look. And then there are other groups of people who are also diverse or consider themselves different by, by something that's happening on the inside that people can't see. Um, and so while I am a, a white woman and, and from the outside, I might not look diverse in some ways, I would say that there's there's two groups that, that I affiliate with very emotionally and passionately that are different or, or diverse. And one is by religion and the other one is by being a mom. And so Chris, you know that I have just oodles <laughs> of passion around the working mom topic. And so I'll get to that second. Um, but I, I am a Jewish American white woman. And so um, my experience through life, Elisa, you talked about, you know, in your 20s, realizing something here is different. And by the way, I would agree, Elisa, you are different. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've had the pleasure of knowing Elisa for many years. And let me tell you, this is quite a woman. Um, but I learned that I was different probably by the age of two years old um, when I was taken to the malls and everything was decorated for the Christmas holiday. And when people asked me if I wanted to sit on Santa's lap um, or what people asked me when I, what I was getting for Easter or what was in my Easter basket. And that's because 90% of, of our country in the US and, and I don't know the numbers globally, but are of some value, some Christian faith. Um, but I was growing up as a little Jewish girl in a town where I was one of the only people. And I remember asking my parents, why don't I have a Christmas tree? And why aren't I getting a pile of presents? And what is interesting is it's not something that you would ever know by looking at me, but it is something that I deal with on a daily basis every year and also something I've had to teach my children. And so we have our own holidays as many religions do that people may understand or may not understand. Um, it is upsetting and alarming when things are scheduled when certain businesses are open on holidays that are as important to minority religions as Christmas would be to those who celebrate Christmas. And I think a defining moment for me was when my daughter asked me why she couldn't have a Christmas tree. And so I have to go through the process of teaching my own daughter what is special about her and what it means to be diverse from a religious perspective. And I think it's important to talk about that because there are hundreds of religions in, in the world across our globe, and so few of them are known well. Right. And I think that religion is something that we frequently assume, and that impacts us in the workplace constantly in terms of time off or understanding what people's religious needs are. There is a woman who I work with who, who I love so deeply and, and she's Muslim and there's a period of time that she has to fast. And when you think about what happens in an office and how much of an impact that plays, I mean, there's just so many pieces to this that, that are at play. Um, and then of course I could do shows and shows about the working mom thing. Um, and Chris, Chris, Precious, he had the pause button now, but um, I do have a memory of when I was I'm taking all the advice, Jill. I'm taking all the advice. I'm going to need it. This is perfect. Keep going. We need to bring your wife on the show at some point. You know what, just... right? I was going to ask her last night, and uh, I, I want like, her. Uh, I want her. <laughs> she can expose me. <laughs> no, yeah. no. Oh, I know what I'll hear too. Um, what I would say is I had a, a really big defining moment in my career a, a few companies ago when I was promoted to vice president. 
And I was so excited and it was such a big moment in my career. And I looked around and my boss was a man and I had three counterparts and they were all men. And I was the only woman and I was pregnant. And if I could go on for hours about what that meant and about the doctor's appointments that I had to get to for my health and the health of my child and how each one was a struggle for me of, well, they're all going to be in this meeting and they're all going to get to put their word in on this important strategy. And I have to go have an ultrasound and what do I do? And the conflict, I think that working parents, not just moms, dads, caregivers, people that are taking care of elderly parents, the conflict that people have in caring for others at home that you cannot see on someone's face or on their body when they come in is something that people are dealing with constantly across the globe. It, it spans all ages, all races. Um, and I think it's something that needs to, needs to be talked about more. Yeah, I, I think, Jill, um, part of the, the how you walked us through these two very important journeys is, you know, when people start to talk about, you know, how do we get people to understand the importance of this whole thing that everyone seems to be, this whole trend that people are talking about, this little thing called diversity, is being able to um, connect those stories because at the core of all of that, is about how do I feel no matter who I am, like I belong. And as an African-American woman, you can't walk in my shoes. And no, um, our we, we, you know, Amanda and I can't hide our diversity in a drawer. As soon as you see us, you know, it is what it is. We, we are two African-American women. Um, but on the other side of that, it's how do we get everyone else to understand that although there may not be, um, you know, these horror stories or this historical degradation and all of that, we all have a story and we can all go back to talk about a time. And I'm talking about the, an organization where we didn't feel like we belonged. And if we can take everyone back to that place so if you are the, the little chubby guy um, in the third grade that, you know, that now everyone, the teams are selected and you're standing in the middle because no one wants to pick you. If we can take you back to that moment, everyone has that moment regardless, or if you're the socially awkward person at the holiday party um, and you're kind of over in the corner, um, and you, you know, and no one wants to speak with you because you know you're socially awkward or whatever. If we could all take a person back to those moments, I think as a leader within any kind of organization, um, you get to start to bridge the gap because everyone has one of those moments. So you don't have to walk in the 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 the, the shoes that Amanda and I walked in, but we can certainly take you back to a time where you just didn't feel that you belong there. So um, when you ask, you know, kind of what I'm creating, that's part of it. It's, a, it's the education and being able to speak out loud a lot of things that no one ever speaks about. And Amanda, you said it, it's like, you know, real talk, right? It's real talk. Let's just put it out there because if we don't say it and we don't give people permission 
to, um, to engage in the conversation or to maybe ask a question that, that isn't the right question. You don't chop their head off. Uh, Elisa, your hair is different today. Can I like feel your hair? That happens. <laughs> you get that. And Chris, you're at, you're married too. I think you said that. I know that. all about the hair. Don't worry about it. I know, no, how to, you know, I know, I know all about the hair. I know how to relax the hair. I know how to do yeah, it. Yeah, man. It's like, don't, don't be messing with my hair. You know, you get one don't mess, chance to- Never to, mess with the hair. Don't be messing with my hair. Um, but, but being okay and, and being- <laughs> being lighthearted about that, you know, conversation. Oh my God, your hair was so short yesterday. What happened? You know, um, you know, so funny. Yeah, uh, it, but yes, it's, I it's, think, it's really about that. I think what one thing I've learned from all three of you is your stories is, is the educational piece, as you said, and um, I've already learned so much. For example, what you said, Amanda, I had no idea that you always had that on your mind that every time you're in a conversation with a leader, you're always thinking it's always there as it's like laying on you. And obviously it's something you had to embrace, but I never even thought about that. And I speak to DNI leaders every day. And I never thought, that, and as you said, uh, Elisa, everyone has their own journey, right? right? Everyone has their own journey and experience. And I, whilst you were all talking, I was sitting there thinking of my own experiences. Yes. Uh, even in 2017, I go on, on the train with, uh, obviously my wife is, is, is black. People still give us dirty looks. Yeah. People still, and I'm like, it's 2017, it's 2018 out here. Like, <laughs> and they're looking at obviously my wife's pregnant and we're holding hands, we're married, and people, people are still looking at us like that's strange. Right. And uh, I remember when I first moved, um, got a job in the city where, where I grew up in school, there was two white kids in my class. Everyone else was either Indian or black. So mm -hmm. that was kind of my culture, even same within with college. So when I first went to a corporate office and, I, and it was an entirely white male dominated floor, I was like, what's this about? <laughs> like, it was a, it, how crazy for a white person to be in a room with other white people and to feel weird. So I, I had come from a school where I'd predominantly been a minority going into the corporate world where then I was like, well, where's, 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 where's all the different cultures? Where's, where, what's going on here? And that was, and everyone used to take, like, um, I used to be, not, not say bullied in the workplace, but people used to make comments about my accent because I was from East London. It was like a cultural mm -hmm. area. A lot of, and then I even had a director come to me and say, and it just stood out when you guys told your story, say to me, you can't talk that way. You have to talk, basically saying that you have to talk more like a white person. <laughs> I'm not even joking. And they brought in a, a they brought in a, um, I don't know what the name, a guy came in, uh, they hired someone in to teach us how to speak correctly, corporately, corporate. Yeah. I don't even know how to describe this without offending someone. But basically I had a lesson with someone how, how to talk. And my yeah. boss gave me the newspaper and said, you can't talk like you're from East London because the slang and sort of the way we talk isn't like posh English and yeah. you can't talk to clients that way. And I was like, oh my God, are you serious? And then one other director came to me one day and said, you should keep reading this. And they gave me the Financial Times and they said, you should read that and then maybe you'll be educated. <laughs> I was like, whoa. So I was like, whoa. But again, at the time, I didn't see it as uh, what we're talking about now. But there's so many times, again, even mm -hmm. with my, my wife, it's a constant thing that comes up. Yeah. Even my, my wife's a twin. They're, they're twins. And I got a phone call from her, 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 her sister's boyfriend and this is a few weeks ago and he said how do you deal with it he's white as well so he, he's the first time he's been out with a black woman and he called me he goes how do you deal with it and I was like what do you mean he just called me out of the blue and he goes I, I, I'm refining it hard because of the, the way people look at us and the way the other black guys maybe will look at them or, or stuff like that and it is really affecting him and I and I, and I and he by the way he grew up sort of outside of London in a predominantly white um, area so he really struggled with this whereas me I just was bought into it and I see that in the workplace as well. 
Uh, I see it exactly the same in the workplace. But again, it's just your, it's your, it's your, it's the way you grow up, right? Everyone has their own journey. Everyone, for me, it's normal. <laughs> for me, for me, it's completely normal, but for other people, it's not. So I really, really appreciate you guys sharing your, your stories. It's so important. Well, it's interesting, actually, one of the things you said is I actually had a very similar experience. So I'm from North Carolina, and I grew up with a very thick Southern accent, but after college, I went to investment banking. And so my freshman year of college, I was a finance major. I had a, a very established uh, professor pull me aside and say, you have to work on your accent. Nobody will hire you or take you seriously. And so crazy. for four years in college, I basically worked on downplaying my Southern drawl so that every number and every word I said would be so much more crisp. And, um, you know, I'm working on actually kind of releasing that again. And like, yeah, it's not who you are. Myself. Yeah, and, and having my drawl, but actually one of the things that Jill said, I'm, I'm reminded of and had um, to think of earlier this week, which is um, caregiving. And so it is not something that was forefront of my mind. I've never had to think about that before, um, but we might be uh, working with this new consultant um, and she's fantastic. And one of, I think my second conversation with her, she said, look, I'm leaving my company and I'm starting to go freelance because I need to start taking care of my mother. And so I live in New York, she lives in Chicago. I'm gonna go home every weekend. So I can't have meetings in the office scheduled for Friday because I need to fly home. And it was the first time where I actually had to think about that. Like there are other ways people need to work that best suit their schedule. And there's a diversity of people at this table and not things that you can, you know, suddenly just see when they walk into the room. And so I said, you know, first off, I was really excited about that because it's my first time having to think through what does that look like? And after meeting Jill a couple of weeks ago, now all these things are in my head, which is really exciting. Um, and I said to her, okay, like that is you bringing your full self to work. And I appreciate Good for you. it. And I was just really excited that it was like the first time we had to think about that and like, okay, how do we make sure you feel included in the things that we're gonna do in the office? I just gotta make sure those things are Monday through Thursday and not on Fridays. And that is totally fine. Like we're creating a company from scratch. I have no rules to follow. Yeah. It, you know, corporate in, internal activities need to be on a Tuesday instead of a Friday. Okay, you know, like that, that is perfectly fine with me. I just want everyone to feel included. So I'm really glad Jill, you brought that up because it is something we suddenly had to think about and we are in a position to be able to truly include everybody in those decisions. Mm. I think even just the and, whole work. And I can tell you the return on that, Amanda, when when you do something like that for someone, the loyalty. Yeah, the that's what I was going to say. You, you have just you've just captured that person mm. for life. Yeah. And and he or she will will work so hard for you because that is so important to her. So thank you so much for sharing that amazing example. That's that is best practice. Yeah, it's funny. I was getting excited about it. I'm not even the employee. I always used to say it to my boss as well. I was like, why do we have to work nine to five, Monday to Friday? Like, and I was very naive. And I was like, why? Do, why? Who, who decided that you needed to do that? Like, especially as an entrepreneur, there is no such thing as nine to five as an entrepreneur. Right. You know, if I want to come in at 11 a.m. and spend the morning with my wife, then I'll do that. <laughs> it's, and, I, and I still get the same amount of work done. I actually feel, I actually get to work around uh, our, our family life at the same time. And I feel so much happier about doing it rather than going, oh my God, I need to be in at 9 a.m. 
and then I get yeah. that gets to the office at 9am and actually generally there's no reason for me actually to be there at 9am unless I've got a meeting with the team it, it seems yeah. a bit out, that, that, the whole the whole um nine to five thing is something which I feel is so outdated yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know how we're going to change it because it's such a huge thing that's embedded in culture but yeah. um, we're seeing more and more now you know flexible working we're seeing uh, many people now are going um, solo obviously there's a few people here <laughs> and um, th- th- especially with technology now and how far we come you can do that Whereas you couldn't do that before there's like a monopoly uh yeah. in, in the past but now you can you can do that um so for you guys question i know we're, we're getting we, we always try to say half an hour but we're never gonna do half an hour jill i think we just decide now we're not gonna do half an hour shows <laughs> it's not possible i'm I sorry guys just make, make an hour yeah. <laughs> we're deciding right now we're gonna do it an hour so um what advice would you give to yourselves looking back to your younger selves what advice would you give to, to other developer leaders that are on their journey um, well, so um, I was on a panel uh, with uh, Built by Girls and some other organizations worked together to bring about 150 high school girls together to learn about STEM and careers in STEM and being entrepreneurs. And so I was sitting on this panel with two other women entrepreneurs and we we're talking about, um, you know, how we built our companies and, and lessons looking back. And one girl, uh, I think she was like a junior in high school, said to me, I run the diversity program at my, you know, student-run diversity program at my, at my high school. Um, what some advice do you have for me as a white woman to make sure I feel like everyone's getting involved? And it really made me take a step back in my whole journey. And the advice I gave to her um, was go sit beside the person you wouldn't have normally thought to sit beside. And I actually think that that is like a broad stroke, not just diversity and inclusion um, point, but for, you know, throughout my entire career. So when I was 21, 22, I was very um, one track minded in terms of who I thought I wanted to be and, and what I wanted to do, particularly in the world of finance. And I knew step one, step two, step three, and was like kind of very focused. But it was a lot of random conversations with people um, that brought me kind of out of that one track mind and made me start to think of myself and my interests in other ways and kind of ultimately led me on this very curvy career trajectory um, that I'm on now. And I think had I been more thoughtful, if someone just said to me, go sit beside the person you would normally sit beside, like learn from other people, get comfortable being uncomfortable, get comfortable being direct, get comfortable asking questions earlier and more often, um, I would have gotten to some conclusions faster. And so I just constantly encourage people to go sit beside the quiet girl, go talk to the guy you have nothing in common with and learn from other people. And I think you'll be better, whether that changes your career or not, you'll ultimately become a better leader. Great. Um, I think for me, uh, if, if I could have given myself advice early on, it would have probably been that I... Um, that you can kind of put something in your GPS and really have control over your journey and destination. I I think um, I didn't recognize early on how you truly do have power over your direction. I, I, you know, I, I realized that everything you do, the intention behind what your goals are, um, really drive um, and, and kind of carve out where you want to be. And I didn't know that back then. 
And today I truly feel that I'm in control of my direction. Um, and as you do, uh, Amanda, when I speak to my mentees, I talk to them about being in control, being in control of your destiny. I think having control of, of, of your destiny really gives you so much more. It gives you the confidence because you start to see that your behavior and all of the choices that you make truly make a difference. Um, and it keeps you grounded and it keeps you going in the direction that you wanna go. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a straight line, but you start to see um, advancing, right? Um, and, and so I wish I knew that. I, I wasted a, a, a bit of time, you know, I went around in a couple of circles, but now I recognize and boy, does it feel great to be able to be in control of your destiny. Yeah. I think we're all guilty of that. <laughs> I think everyone's guilty of that because you go into a company and you're kind of relying on the company, the organization or your leader to, to take charge of your, your journey, right? A lot yeah. of us do that. We're like, whenever I get promoted <laughs> or when, you know, and you're even the development, you wait, a lot of people just wait. And is, yeah. is, is the company going to actually develop me? Or right. if you look at the successful people out there, they take, they take it into their own hands right. and they manage their own career and their own learning. Right. Um, very interesting. Jill. Um, I, Amanda, your story really touched me. You know that that person telling you to hold back your your southern drawl, um, and and you having to you know really work on that. And now that now you're letting you're trying to let it come back in. And I and I love the way that you said that. Um, you know, I think my I, if I could talk to my twenty year old self, the first that'd be a I fun would, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Still having a chat of herself when she was younger would be hilarious. We could, <laughs> we could do a show on that. First thing I would say is do not eat that second piece of pizza because <laughs> you are not going to always have this waistline, sweetheart. That's the first thing I'd say. No, um, the next thing I would say is never, ever, ever stop being who you are authentically. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I was born this way. I don't know what to tell you. I, I was born with, with a big, big personality and a big heart and, and a ton of passion. And for most of my life, in some way or another, there was always someone telling me to turn it off, take it down, quiet down, turn down the volume. You're coming on too strong. It's always been about make it smaller. And so, you know, I, I can't tell you how many, how many examples there was a teacher who called my parents at one point and said, we've now moved Jill's seat in the classroom <laughs> seven times and keep trying to put her, as Amanda said, next to someone who we don't think she will disrupt and talk to and there's no one else to put her. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, I think if I could go back 20 years to myself, I would say, Jill, be who you are. Right. Be who you are, do your thing, trust the process, because I have found that I am my best and I give my best and I get my best when I don't feel like I'm being held back or told to tamper it down or whatever it is, because I am authentically bringing my whole self to what I do. And for those who it resonates with, I get to touch them and, and it touches me and it makes me better. So I would say, let all that go, move to salad sooner, and you're good to go. You know, I, I think that's pretty much what I've taken away from the show, really. Is, 
not the salads part, Jill. I mean, being authentic. <laughs> I mean, being being. I think that's one of the things that I heard from all of you, and I think that it can have an impact on everyone. Um, and it, it doesn't take. A, it, it, I think you should first just asking the question, and even just just discussing it alone is. I know so many people that are going to be watching right now are going to be just thinking about it, and, and this is going to be going. Even me in my in my mind, I think one of the reasons that we've been successful as a company as HRD leaders is that we are authentic. We don't try and pretend we're a big company. You know, people see me and Jill, we're two young guys, never studied HR in our lives. And we're putting together these huge HR our events with amazing people. And, and on your point, Jill. Chris, Chris, hold on. You meant to say you and Shane. No, he's not here in the room though. He's left. So technically it's just me right now. <laughs> yeah, me and Shane, me and Shane, you know, he, he's, he's, you know, don't start, Jill, all right? Don't start. Um, so, um, <laughs> and what was I going to say now? You just completely threw me off, off track. And Jill, the reason that we invited you to be a co-host on the show was because of all of those things that people told you to stop doing. When I first spoke to you, I was like, Shane, we have to get Joe on the show. She's she's slightly crazy. She knows what she's <laughs> she knows she knows what she's talking about. She's highly educated. And I was like, we have to, and same with similar with Matt, right? And I, when I first spoke to you and Matt, I didn't feel like I was speaking to a HR vice president. I was speaking, I felt like I was speaking to a person. Right. I thought, and, and you you never tried to portray anything that you weren't, right? You just so immediately you're so authentic. It felt like we'd known each other for months and we'd had like a half an hour conversation. And it's similar with Shane and, and similar with you guys. We've only been speaking for, for a very short time now. And I feel like I already know quite a lot about you and I can judge who you are and your, your, what you stand for. So uh, I think we should end it there. I think that's a good note <laughs> to end the show on um, as well. So thank you everyone for listening. Um, and uh, next week, as I said at Four Ways, leave your comments in the comments section. If you have any comments for us, we'll try and uh, I'll forward them on to the guys. And uh, thank you for tuning in. If you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do. So you're notified of when we go live. Uh, apart from that, um, Jill, Elisa, Amanda, I really appreciate you joining us. And um, yes. wish you all the best until we next speak.